Good afternoon and welcome to the Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists. Since early in 2021, we've been sharing the science behind today's most important health topics. Coffee Conversations is brought to you by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment, a statewide nonprofit working to improve health and advance health equity in Wisconsin. I am Dr. Terry Darun Cassini, professor and the executive director of the Medical College of Wisconsin Comprehensive Injury Center. Dr. Mike McCray is our guest, and he is a board certified clinical neuropsychologist. He is currently the Shaker and Kerpod Chair in Neurosurgery, Professor of Neurosurgery and Neurology, Vice Chair of Research, Co Director of the Center for Neurotrauma Research and Director of the Clinical Trials Office in the Neuroscience Institute at the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Dr. McRae has been an active researcher in the neurosciences with hundreds of scientific publications, book chapters, and national and international lectures on the topic of traumatic brain injury. Dr. McRae has led several large multi-center studies on the effects of traumatic brain injury and concussion. He has served on numerous national and international expert panels related to research and clinical care for TBI over the past two decades. Dr. McRae also is a neuropsychology consultant for the Green Bay Packers. His particular interest in the acute clinical and neurophysiological effects of traumatic brain injury in civilians, athletes, and military personnel. Today, we are lucky enough to have him talking about his group's groundbreaking research on the effects of sports-related concussion in athletes. Welcome to Coffee Conversations, Dr. McRae. Thanks, Terry. It's really great to be here with you. Glad to have you. So we will be covering a great list of questions regarding the science behind traumatic brain injury and concussion. And I encourage all of you watching to drop any questions you have on the topic into the comments. We'll get started um, with some questions that we have uh, here written down. So to begin, uh, Dr. McRae, can you explain what we mean when we say traumatic brain injury and concussion? Sure, happy to. So that, that's probably the best place to start because there's often a fair amount of confusion and, and lack of clarity uh, when these two terms get get used uh, interchangeably. But But basically, um, as is implied in, in the term, uh, traumatic brain injury is, is really um, uh, damage to the, to the brain, typically, that occurs through some traumatic mechanism. And, and that really distinguishes it, from, for instance, from stroke or, or brain tumor, which we know can be devastating conditions that, that have um, really uh, serious and sometimes lasting impact on on brain structure and function, but traumatic brain injury is just as it's implied. Um, usually, injuries that occur due to a direct blow to the head or um, some acceleration deceleration forces that are transmitted to either the head or the body, uh, direct or rotational. Um, that we oftentimes see in the setting of, of sports, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, and traumatic brain injury really spans uh, uh, quite a spectrum. As, as we call it in our, in our clinic, in our laboratory, traumatic brain injury spans from concussion to coma. So this could be someone who falls on the ice at home, um, has a maybe a slight goose egg and temporary dizziness or confusion 
all the way to um, less fortunate patients with far more severe injuries who may be uh, in deep coma um, and unresponsive for length, lengthy periods of time or unfortunately um, might have fatal uh, traumatic brain injury. And then the term concussion is um, really applied to the, the mildest end of that spectrum. Um, these are, uh, the term is, is often um, reserved for patients who um, have clear clinical signs and symptoms of injury that we'll, we'll talk about here uh, in a bit, but often on conventional studies, diagnostic studies, for instance, a CAT scan that, that most people are accustomed to hearing about, um, may actually show normal results, but but clearly they have sustained enough uh, impact or trauma to the head to to cause what's typically a temporary disruption in in normal function. Okay, well, thank you for that. So I'm thinking, actually, of my daughter's soccer game this last weekend, and you mentioned the acceleration deceleration injury that can that can occur. And I, I remember there was a player on her team who was running hard with the ball and then was stopped by the defender. So how do you know when someone has experienced a concussion, especially when it has to do with that acceleration, deceleration injury potential? Correct. And, and this is very difficult in, in sports, as you can imagine, because in soccer or, or in American football, there's 20 to 22 players on the field at any given time. And, and in some instances, there might be one athletic trainer in some settings like youth sports where our kids have participated. There's usually not a medical provider there and, and everyone's doing their best to sort of run surveillance to, to keep an eye out for the potential of head impacts that, that cause injury. Um, and, and you're right in the setting of sports, um, oftentimes it's this, this acceleration, deceleration, um, athletes running and, and traveling at high speed that come into contact with an opponent, a teammate, the ground, um, a goalpost, et cetera, that often will also cause, you know, if, if you think about, unfortunately, the, the highlight reels that, that sports television likes to, to, uh, exhibit often are these really high velocity impacts that that result in just major rotational force um, transmitted to the head. And essentially, um, you know, this this has been sort of cartoonized, uh, if that's a word, uh, a little too much in recent years. But you can imagine that the head meets its 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 maximum extreme either in contact with an object or rotationally forward or backward, it comes to a halt and the brain continues to, to move inside the cranium, which causes really twisting and, and um, sometimes even severing of, of, of neurons uh, in the brain that result in, in um, uh, disruption of, of normal brain function. Um, the reality is that the answer to your question is it's, Concussion remains, and particularly in sports at this point, it, it remains a clinical diagnosis. So based largely on signs and symptoms. Um, signs meaning, um, did we observe that, that athlete to have a temporary disruption in their normal level of consciousness? 
they were either notably groggy or in some instances only less than 10% of, of concussions in sport result in a player being, quote, knocked out or unconscious. They sometimes will have amnesia. They'll be disoriented, confused. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's based in, in part on their self-report of symptoms like headache, dizziness, uh, balance problems, sick to their stomach. Um, and oftentimes to a parent or to a coach, it really boils down to, I know this kid and she's not herself right now. And so the mantra these days is when in doubt, sit them out. Um, <laughs> if there's a suspected concern of, of possible concussion, play it safe and, and, um, and remove that player from, con from competition or practice that day. And it seems that those those symptoms kind of come on suddenly, and then how long how long do they last, and and are they ongoing? Good question. So this is really where where our research group has spent the lion's share of our time in the last twenty five years is studying the acute effects of of injury and and the natural history of recovery timeline wise. Um, interestingly enough, that's changed over time as athletes have gained greater awareness of concussion signs and symptoms um, and the potential seriousness of those of the injury. And they've become more honest with us about their recovery time. Um, so typically signs are evident pretty quickly, as you said, with, within minutes of injury. Um, in some instances in sport, it's not a single smoking gun impact, big blow that highlight real uh Sure. Uh, hit that causes injury, but maybe an accumulation of this athlete took three or four consecutive moderate impacts to the head in a short time frame in a game, and they and they come up with with symptoms. There are known instances as well of of athletes having a delayed onset of symptoms. Um, a, the most common scenario is after a game or a practice, they come forward to the athletic training staff and report that they're experiencing headache or other symptoms, and they can tie it back to a, a blow to the head much earlier in the contest. And some athletes, frankly, will play a wait and see game. They may go home after practice or a game, wake up the next morning not feeling very well and present to, uh, to the athletic trainer or to their parents or pediatricians. The recovery time really varies by athlete. And, and by the severity of, of injury. So um, our most recent data in, in uh, several thousand collegiate athletes that we've studied through the something called the CARE Consortium, um, where we've enrolled uh, over 60,000 athletes and military service academy cadets and studied about 6,000 of them with, with injury. Um, the time from... Uh, the time from injury to resolution of symptoms is usually in the order of seven days or so, about a week. But then it's another week before um, uh, they're fit to fully return to activity without restrictions. So, um, and, and that's the average. But we've also found that it takes more like two to four weeks for 80 to 90 percent of athletes to achieve a complete recovery and and return to play the good news is it's a very very small percentage of athletes who experience persistent symptoms beyond 
two to three weeks. And, and now we have um, newer and, and improved approaches to address the symptom recovery in those, in those athletes that have slower recovery. And are there, are there factors that influence how somebody recovers or how well they recover? Are there things like inherent to who they are or their experience um, in the sport or um, things that people can do after experiencing con a concussion that can help facilitate um, speedier recovery? Great question. And it's yes, yes, yes is the answer. So um, we look at injury-related factors. So a real driver of severity and, and recovery time is um, the grade of, of injury. So not all concussions are, are created equal. Um, some are accompanied by, as I mentioned, the, the, the athlete or construction worker or military service member was rendered unconscious. And we know that represents a deeper grade of concussion that takes longer to recovery. Um, or they've got really measurable memory loss for minutes to hours surrounding the injury. Classically, those are those are some more uh, more severe forms of injury that take longer to recover. But but even in in athletes without loss of consciousness or amnesia, more severe symptoms in the first twenty four hours usually result in longer recovery. And then, as you mentioned, and this is this is really. Um, uh, an important caveat um, is that not all people are created equal. And, and so it's not only about injury, but about who comes to injury. So individuals with a prior history, for instance, of multiple concussions, three, five, seven, even more prior concussions are, we find are, are, are predisposed to risk of, of longer recovery time. Those who are experiencing um, either prior to or at the time of their concussion, anxiety, depression, other psychological stressors also uh, are, are prone to longer uh, recovery times. There has been some speculation about differences in recovery time between males and females that we actually have not found in our, in our large studies. Um, we find that um, Clinicians are often more conservative in returning uh, females to sport than they are males, which is more of a sociological phenomenon. And having sons and daughters, I, I sort of irritates me a little bit. Who are sure. sport participants? But, Same here. <laughs> um, but that's that's the world, and 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 that's our part to um, to to educate them. And then lastly, um, the environment in which recovery occurs and the behaviors of the athlete. So um, for instance, um, we have discovered that athletes who decide to take this wait and see approach and may not show up reporting their injury until day two or day three have a significantly longer time to recover. The, the, huh. the, the message to the athletes is, listen, um, report your injury as soon as possible, get in the hands of an experienced clinician who can get you on the road to recovery in a more rapid, safe return to play. Sure. Um, and then returning to activity um, too slowly or too quickly. So we've mm. we've lived through um, some really unfortunate misinformation periods in, in concussion management, including um, a few years ago, this, this notion of cocoon therapy that at, when, if you've had a concussion, we want you to completely shut down with 
total physical and cognitive rest, which we've discovered, uh, we, we were never proponents of that school of thought, but it frankly does more harm than good. Um, concussion recovery is about a very brief period of rest for a couple of days, and then gradually, slowly turning the brain back on with uh, cognitive and physical activity as tolerated. So that doesn't mean you go to football practice mm -hmm. uh, on day two, but it means as we're monitoring your symptoms, we might put you on an exercise bike. Very short duration, low intensity exercise that has turned out to be highly therapeutic. And so that's interesting. So the you you want to think about getting people returning, not at the intensity they were at, maybe, but but resting too much can have an impact too on that recovery. For sure, both wow. physiologically and psychologically. Yeah. So sure. in the setting of sports and military, for instance, where there's a very high rate of concussion and mild traumatic brain injury. You're basically taking the most active people on the planet and telling them that they can't do anything, which is really not good for their psychological health. Yeah. It also sends a terrible message because I often say that if I have cardiac bypass surgery this morning at seven o'clock, this afternoon, they have me walking the halls, right? Mm -hmm. Um, whereas this message that if you've had a concussion, you should be, um, on the shelf for an, uh, a prolonged period of time is, is, is really not founded in, in research evidence and not good for the patient. So it. yes, it is about introducing, starting low and going slow, um, ramping up their, the, the duration and intensity of exercise over a period of days, um, without contact, and then eventually graduating them to returning to play in sport without any restrictions. Okay. Well, and that leads me to, to bring up one of the questions in the chat, which is how important is the role of physical therapy and recovery? So there's the gradual getting back to activity, but is there a more formal role for physical therapy that, that they play in that recovery process? Absolutely. So I, I'm going to sort of hit this down two channels. Um, if I, if I think about just for a moment here, and, and with great respect to our physical therapists, if I think about the dual role of physical therapy and athletic training mm. um, in the setting of sport, they really are the managers of, of athletes with concussion. So it turns out very few athletes are seen at hospitals. They, uh, particularly at the high school collegiate or professional level, they're managed by expert athletic training professionals who have um, also often have dual training in, in physical therapy techniques. And that really is the, the, the management protocol for sport concussion. But um, even more specific than that, in the setting of civilian sport and military concussion, physical therapy has proven to be an incredibly valuable outlet for treatment. So um, dizziness and vestibular problems, ocular motor difficulties are often, they're very common after concussion, can be very disabling, resulting in really significant uh, functional deficit that disallows someone from returning to driving, working, going to school, etc. And we call upon physical therapists to, to conduct vestibular and ocular motor therapies to extinguish those symptoms and restore the person to full function. So it's become a, a go-to as, as um, really a primary form of rehabilitative therapies for concussion and mild traumatic brain injury.
for sure. Wow, that's great. Um, what what sports present the greatest risk for a concussion? Okay, so I can kind of sort them into larger buckets and then talk more specifically about individual sports. So certainly what um, we used to sort them into contact sports and non-contact sports, and now they're sort of truly non-contact sports. That's mm -hmm. golf and cross country. But for instance, basketball is not a non-contact sport, uh, particularly if you, you play it you know, at a highly competitive level but it is a limited contact sport. The intention is not to introduce contact. And then there are what we refer to as um, higher contact or collision sports like American football, rugby, lacrosse, uh, soccer, wrestling, um, field hockey in some, in some settings where no surprise to sporting fans or parents that um, uh, sustaining a blow to the head is, 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 uh, more central to the to routine partition and participation in the game and it's 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 not a errant um, uh, occurrence or or mistake when it happens like it would be in basketball and so in those sports you know the the focus is not only on the rate of concussion and and the potential long short and long-term effects of concussion but even concerns are surrounding the potential long-term effects of repetitive head impact exposure, mm -hmm. um, lower magnitude blows to the head that football players sustain, for instance, even in the absence of, of diagnosed brain injury or concussion. Uh, yeah. Certainly American football has been the focus of this discussion. Um, it's, it's not as popular here in the United States, but it, rugby, for instance, um, that's now played widely by men and women uh, boys and girls in the U.S. and around the world um, has an, a, an incredibly high rate of concussion, smaller number of participants than football and a much higher rate of, of, uh, of concussion on a per player basis for sure. Okay. All right. So we're getting some additional questions in the chat and one of them is about recovery. So somebody had a son who recovered successfully from post-concussion syndrome from a contact sport um, and at the end, the, the doctors told him, you know, go live your life, you're fine. Um, but the question is from the individual, should they still be concerned because they're an active, their son is active. Um, should they be concerned about if they get re-injured and what that might mean for, for them after that? Um, I appreciate this question because it's it's something that every many many households are are grappling with, probably yours and and mine alike. Um, having kids involved in sports, mm -hmm. the short answer to that specific question is no. You, if your son has sustained a a concussion with a full recovery, um, there's nobody I know who would disqualify um, your son from returning to full participation in, in any sport that he would choose. Um, and, you know, there was, there was interest by some years ago to, to put a magic number on it. And some school districts even went this direction that if, if any athlete in our school sustains three lifetime concussions, they're disqualified from sport for life. And um, that really has not proven to be an effective uh prevention strategy or or intervention um 
the conversation changes, obviously, if, and, and we usually use a series of questions that if we find that an athlete is, is ending up in this revolving door scenario where they're sustaining repetitive concussions that are occurring closer together in time, seemingly as a, as a result of lighter blows to the head consecutively, maybe with slower recovery or less complete recovery after each successive injury, then that's a different conversation. But uh, hopefully our viewers, they're probably not aware, but they should be that somewhere in the order of about a third of the U.S. population has sustained at least one concussion. Mm-hmm. So this is this is not a rare occurrence. Unfortunately, we we take care of a lot of people in sports, military, and and civilian medicine every day. Um, full recovery is is certainly the norm, um, but the, we really don't have to lie awake at night having deep concerns about the long term consequences of a single uh, concussion, for instance. Sure. Okay. And what about um, intervention timing, like should some sort of intervention when there are symptoms present happen, is it earlier, the better, or if symptoms persist for a couple weeks and then like the ocular vestibular therapy that you mentioned gets on board, um, is that, does that make it harder for a recovery to happen and a full recovery to happen? The answer is it's, it's really both earlier, the better. Okay. To to get into a base treatment plan. So I mentioned earlier, we, we have data on really a sizable segment, subset of athletes who choose, who either have delayed reporting, or as I say, they, they want to wait and see. Um, maybe I'll wake up in the morning and I'll be fine and I won't have to go in at all. Sure. Um, we've published multiple papers now showing that the the, the late reporters have a longer recovery time and a delayed return to play, which no athlete wants. So the currency exchange here for the athlete is come to us immediately with your symptoms. We'll get you in a base treatment protocol that will facilitate your recovery and your your safe return to play. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that is in, even clinically in, in, in our civilian patient setting, you know, we're not sending everybody, we're not starting people on medicine the first day. Um, we're, we're not sending everybody to physical therapy or, or, or to rehab. Um, but at least we can get people on the right track, guiding them through, um, strategies to reduce their symptom burden, return them to activity, introduce exercise, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, that is a way more effective approach than, unfortunately, we see a lot of patients for the first time that are, they might be three months out and they've been struggling. They haven't returned to work. Um, and and putting those patients back on track to recovery, is it proves to be way, uh, far more difficult. Sure. And what about the relationship between experiencing a concussion or brain injury and other things like substance misuse, um, mental health issues, or even suicide. Is there a relationship between those and the experience of a TBI? Yeah, so it, now I'm gonna shift from sport um, to more broadly in our, in our civilian patient setting. Um, you know, we, we, we see a high rate of, of comorbidities 
um, in the TBI pop in the traumatic brain injury population, including the, the concussion subgroup. So we see a high rate of, of anxiety, depression, psychological health disorders, um, high rates of, of life stressors, um, substance abuse, abuse, both alcohol and, and chemical dependency. Um, and there certainly are instances of, of, of suicide in, in TBI survivors. Um, usually observed in in patients with more severe traumatic brain injury that have lifelong severe lifelong impairments right um there there has been speculation that um there was a higher rate of of suicide amongst you know former athletes with history of multiple concussions there have been several studies that that have uh really indicated that the rate of suicide in those former athletes is actually lower or are certainly no higher than it is in the general male population the same age but unfortunately as you know suicide is a is a real risk across multiple medical and general population subgroups that um that really requires a, a public health effort absolutely yeah definitely so i think this is a big question that a lot of parents want to hear your response to including myself i think we've even talked about this before which is what advice would you give to parents um, who have kids that are interested in those higher impact sports? Um, are, there, is it, are there any ways that parents can mitigate potential harm, harmful consequences of these contact sports? What advice would you give to parents when they're trying to decide if they should let their kids play high impact sports? Great question. And one that again, many households uh, tangle with. But yeah, I, I think first and foremost, um, there is enormous value in sport. Um, obviously, the the physical exercise uh, benefits. But when I think about lessons learned, team play, um, emotional well being, um, the, the 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 benefits of of organized and and particularly team sports is is in my mind undeniable, um, particularly in a in a country where we're we're facing really major health challenges in amongst young people. Mm -hmm. um, it's the, the the health literacy of our young people has never been worse than it is now. Mm -hmm. um, as for those those higher impact contact and collision sports. Um, Across the board, they've never been safer than they are now. But it really is a matter of, of choosing the sport and the timing that is best suited for your son or daughter. Um, in a football scenario, for instance, um, the game at the youth and high school and collegiate and professional level has is, is never been safer than it is now. There have been major policy changes to reduce the amount of impacts that athletes and football players sustain to the head during practices, rule changes in games to make the game safer. And we there have been numerous papers published to indicate that, that the game has never been safer than it is now. That said, and, and my youngest is a is a high school sophomore who who uh, played football last year in, in high school. Um, but do I really think that that it's beneficial or necessary for young people to be playing full contact football in second grade? Um, absolutely not. And, and if someone tells you that 
that your son or daughter won't make the high school team because they're not um, specializing in a given sport or playing at the highest level of that sport in second grade. They're crazy. Um, so the it, it really is a, um, uh, a pathway that parents can engage as, as active participants in this. You explore, you know, what are the real expectations of of this school team, this club team, um, and are they are they following sort of modern day um, uh, principles for to maximize the benefits of sport, but also the safety to young athletes? And and I guess the the message I would leave parents with is uh, in every sport, um, including rugby. My daughters attend a school that is a national rugby powerhouse for girls and you can have the best of both worlds you can be highly competitive and also really follow the the highest standards of of health and safety for athletes and everybody wins um without long-term risk to your son or daughter and they reap all the benefits that will will serve them well throughout their lifetime so that's the that's kind of my mantra and and um and I really think it's it's achievable in this day and age, given the the changes that have occurred in the last two decades. Yeah. Well, and you're so right. I mean, there's so much benefit to being a part of something like a sport right. and what that can mean for friendship and developing relationships and and helping each other out and being there for yeah. each other. Those are those right. are strong lessons for, yeah. for youth. Okay, so last so last question, what does the future look like for concussion and traumatic brain injury treatment? Yes, yeah, it's, it's really an incredible incredibly exciting time. Um so just one example is really a movement away. I mentioned earlier that diagnosis is really a a clinical exercise based on observed signs, which is difficult in, in military and, and, and sport and civilian medicine, where someone's in a motor vehicle crash, no one was there to observe. And then uh, uh, on the flip side, really relying on the self-report of, of the patient um, to have awareness of these, these signs and symptoms. So really the, the pursuit that we've been um, chasing for the last 20 years is the development of more objective markers, biomarkers, blood tests, for instance, um, that we have been working on in, in partnership with the Department of Defense, the NIH, um, our friends at Abbott Laboratories just down the road from here, where believe it or not, in, in literally 15 short years, we've gone from how many fingers am I holding up to now a, a blood test that that is um, highly uh, promising in, in its performance in discriminating individuals with underlying traumatic brain injury or concussion from, from those trauma patients in the hospital without TBI. Um, and at the same time, using advanced uh, neuroimaging techniques like MRI to identify real subtle um, uh, abnormalities in, in brain that weren't detected on a, on a CAT scan, for instance. Um, that really is is going it, to it's really a game changer, um, not only clinically to help us detect these injuries and treat them more effectively, but also in stratifying patients to clinical trials to to uh, test new drugs for treatment to 
reduce disability and improve outcomes for patients affected by TBI. So it's incredibly exciting. It's, it's, um, it's a work in progress, but um, really made great strides in the last 10 years and, and uh, certainly headed in that direction. So really matching biomarker, using biomarkers to match individuals with treatment that would be best right. for them. That's amazing. All That's about precision amazing. medicine. Yeah. What, what, what's the treatment that gives my patient the best shot at, at mm -hmm. survival and, and recovery and, and return to normal function? And it's not a one size fits all yep. approach as, as it's changing in every aspect of medicine, for sure. That's great. Well, I have to just say thank you, not just for today, but for the decades of work that you have done to really advance this field. You're an international expert in brain injury, and you're here at MCW, and you've had a significant influence in the field. So thank you for you and your team and what you've done. Thank you, Terry. We're, yeah. we're both here, and, and it's just <laughs> a real joy to be here with you today and, and, and to collaborate with you and your team over the last decade, for sure. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Um, so thank you. Um, if we didn't get uh, to your questions, for those in the audience, I know there was a ton coming through, feel free to drop an email to conversations at mcw.edu. I hope you all join us next month for a virtual coffee break and a conversation with a scientist. Thank you. The Medical College of Wisconsin's Coffee Conversations with Scientists is sponsored by the Advancing a Healthier Wisconsin Endowment. Coffee Conversations with Scientists occur monthly as Facebook Live events and are produced by the Medical College of Wisconsin. We hope you join us next month for another virtual coffee break and a conversation with a scientist.